Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. From 1640 PWPR, and we are making waves, kicking ass, and taking names later. That's right, 1640 PWPR is growing and growing and growing. That's so many shows now in the family, yet we have room for more. Are you out there in podcast land, talented and ready to be seen and heard? Or are you an upstart looking for just your chance? Well, now you got a chance. Tweet us at 1640PWPR or come on down to Facebook, facebook.com backslash 1640PWPR. Let us know what you're about, what you got going on, and maybe you, yes you, can end up on the home of Pro Wrestling Podcast Radio and more, 1640 and in a moment, ladies and gentlemen, we shall be joined by a rather controversial individual, to say the least. Oh, undoubtedly. Um, unusual? I don't know. Is there something wrong? Does he have complete control of his mental faculties? Or is all this a ploy just to make his name the biggest name anybody has ever seen? He's a man. Such a man. Such a man. I wish I was the monster you think I am. I wish I had enough poison for the whole pack of you. I would gladly give my life to watch you all swallow it. He's a man. Such a man. Such a man. I don't live by applause or by booze. I live by the green, brother. Money. So, uh, money is the name of the game. I'm not looking for applause. I'm not looking for love. I'm not looking to shake your hand. You don't have to put your hand out to me. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for the green. I'm looking for the bread. I'm looking to do what's right, and I'm looking to project my name. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to bear witness to an historic event, a historic coronation. Behold the king, the king of kings. On your knees, dog. It's good to be king. It's good to be king. It's good to be Hear ye, friends, fans, and loyal subjects. 
You are about to witness the most important coronation in the history of the world. You have witnessed royal weddings, inaugurations, but this coronation eclipses them. Please for dynamic and explosive superstar attraction itself. This is... It's time, that time again, for the one and only King Firehawk Show. I is he, he is me. What's 66 divided by 3? <laughs> anyway, 1640 PWPR is the station, King Firehawk's the name, and it's interview night here on the King Firehawk Show as we got a special guest coming up in a moment. And before we bring him on, let me go set that up right now for y'all. And why don't you listen to this song for uh, that I hear on HBO all the time that I just dig. And after the song, we'll be back with our guest here on the King Firehawk Show. 1640 PWPR. Here we are, the King Firehawk Show on 1640 PWPR, the home of pro wrestling, podcast, radio, and more. And a uh, special night here on the King Firehawk Show as uh, we will be conducting an interview as I've been teasing all over the place. And now it's time for the reveal. If you are a college football fan like you know I am, uh, you're going to really enjoy our first guest because he was part of a Great football program at uh, South Carolina for the Gamecocks between 1980 and 84. And as a Notre Dame fan, you know I'm going to ask him about the game in 84. So we're going to get to that. If you're a pro wrestling fan, well, this guy, to me, has had an amazing run as a pro wrestler because in the TV era, and we'll get through all this with him, he was on TV almost his whole career with the AWA on ESPN and Global on ESPN, WCW and the WWF on their uh, TVs, and all the fans finding their way to Japan, all Japan. So the guy had an amazing career, which he was very visible on TV. But yet he wore a mask, the mask of a real American hero, as he was known as the Patriot. And he's on tonight because, uh, fascinating thing, he is part of a Kickstarter uh, fundraiser in order to tell his story. They're looking to fund on Kickstarter a documentary to put out some DVDs where they pretty much will go through the life of our guest tonight, which is Dell the Patriot Wilkes. 
How you doing, Dale? Welcome to the King Firehawk Show. I'm doing great, Pat, man, and I hope you are, and I appreciate you having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, the pleasure's ours. And uh, first off, before we get into the fun tonight, um, I love Kickstarter uh, but quite often, and you're with Elbow Docs here, as I see on Twitter, and we'll give all that information out later. Uh, Kickstarter is a great program where they're asking fans, especially your fans, to help fund and reach your goal in order to put out a DVD, and which you're going to do a documentary on your life story. Uh, one of the cool things is you can donate any amount. Of course, the more you donate, the more cool things you get. And uh, I will reveal all that uh, when our interview's over, and I'll go through the list for all you fans out there. But for very inexpensive amount, you can get your name in the credits on this, and, and essentially, when you're watching this, mark out to yourself up there, which I intend to do. So you know darn well I'll be uh, kicking it into a Kickstarter here for you, Dell. But uh, why don't you tell us first why uh, you came up with the idea of a documentary and just some of the things that you're hoping to get across in the documentary. Well, I'm awful excited about it. I uh, was approached last year, uh, got a message uh, via Facebook from Michael Elliott, and at that time, I was unaware of Michael and the work that he's done with um, uh, Elbow Productions. And uh, we had an opportunity to meet face-to-face uh, in November. I, I was in, at an event in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and uh, we had an opportunity to talk more about it. And uh, we got started several months back uh, with this project. And it is a project that's just, uh, it's my life story from, uh, from the beginning, from my birth, uh, all the way through to present day. Uh, and it uh, includes my childhood. My my mom's involved. Uh, we see her. Uh, also, my uh, football career. Several of my teammates at South Carolina, including the 1980 Heisman Trophy winner George Rogers, uh, will be on this DVD. And it goes through my wrestling career and quite a few of the guys that I worked with throughout my career that uh, uh, had a very uh, special place in my heart. Were very instrumental uh, in my career. Guys like Stan Hansen, uh, Greg Gagne. Buff Bagwell, uh, Jackie Fulton, Bobby Fulton, um, and uh, we're just awful excited about it. And I want to tell you, I, um, as I said, I was unaware of Michael and the work that he's done, but he does phenomenal work. He's done other projects like this on Jimmy Valiant, uh, Magnum TA, the Rock and Roll Express, Ivan Koloff. And this isn't what Michael does for a living. It's uh, what he does when he's not at work. He's a big wrestling fan. And uh, he, uh, this is a labor of love for him, and that uh, does does just a wonderful job. So we're excited about it. We're excited about the opportunity to get our story out there. Um, also, it includes some of the tough times in my life that I went through after I got out of wrestling, and some really really tough years where I struggled and and got myself in in, uh, in just some bad situations. And uh, we're very transparent. We're very open about that, about the difficulties that I dealt with during those times. Uh, and it also has a redemption uh, story to it as well about how I was able to turn my life around and to get back on the right track and on the right path. So we're very open. We're very honest. Uh, it includes my entire life, and we're just excited. And we're also excited about the opportunity that we have for the fans to participate in this and be a part of it as well and help us as we try to finish this project out. Uh, we really feel like they're going to enjoy uh, the finished product. I think they'll really, really be happy with what they see. Well, you're in good hands with Michael. As I'm very familiar with some of the work that he's uh, done before with the guys in the past. So I imagine just off of that body of work, 
what you're going to have as the final presentation should be really good. Um, some of the things that you named, let's bounce around and talk about some of them. Now, George Rogers, uh, I believe, won the Heisman on the 80 team. That was your fir- Was that your first year where you were playing for South Carolina? It was. That was my freshman year. Uh, and um, I uh, came in as a true freshman and was a backup guard um, and uh, played special teams. I lettered. I had the opportunity in a couple of games late in the season to get an awful lot of playing time in and actually was able to, to be out on the field with George and block for George uh, in several of the games. So it was a great, great way to start my college career off. There's not a lot of people that can say that they had a Heisman Trophy winner as a teammate. And uh, George was probably the greatest Gamecock ever and one of the greatest college running backs that I've ever seen. And uh, what, a, what a special year, what a thrilling year it was to be a part of that ride. And to be a part of George's... Uh, you know, journey into winning the Heisman Trophy. As a matter of fact, I saw George just the other night. He um, has George Rogers Foundation, which raises money and gives scholarship money to underprivileged kids. And we had a big fundraiser down near the stadium here in Columbia and uh, was able to take part in that. So uh, still see George and, and uh, appreciate him being a part of this project. Now take me, you grew up in uh, South Carolina, so were you – Take me through your recruiting to go play there. Were you one of those guys where you just loved the school and getting in there, you were definitely going there? Did you have other schools to choose from? What's it like getting recruited by a big-time school in your home state to play football? Well, I grew up a Gamecock fan. My my dad's father and my dad's brothers, uh, two of his brothers graduated from the University of South Carolina. So that love of everything Gamecock really was cultivated uh, by my granddad and, and my uncles, and then we would sit for hours, and they would just tell me stories of great Gamecock teams and great Gamecock players. And but the first school to really uh, start recruiting me very hard was Clemson. Wow, they Clemson! Actually, okay. uh, yeah, they sent a coach to to see me when I was in the ninth grade, and I mean they really started pouring it on. And um, I uh, that was a lot. For a ninth, a ninth grader, and it was really impressive, and it really made a, a big impression on me. So uh, it was hard for South Carolina to be able to overcome that, uh, but they did, and I was recruited by Georgia, Georgia Tech, South Carolina, Clemson, and uh, I knew that it was going to be a school in my home state. But in the end, uh, I wanted. To, I grew up in Columbia, and like I said, I grew up a Gamecock fan. So in the end, I wanted to stay in Columbia. My family lived in Columbia, and I wanted it to be easy for them. To, to come and watch my games and, and, and be a part of my college career and that journey in college. So while uh, Clemson was very persuasive, and I actually verbally committed to Clemson, and uh, I shook Danny Ford's hand and said, look, man, I'm going to be a Clemson Tiger. But uh, Jim Collin was the head coach at South Carolina, and uh, he talked me out of that and convinced me that I needed to be a Gamecock, and I'm glad that I did. I have no regrets about it. What a great choice because, as you stated, you have a Heisman Trophy winner in George Rogers who you got in to block for some. So that's that's big time. And then it really took off uh, 83, you know, 82, 83, building up to 84. 84, was that the big time magic year at uh, your time at uh, South Carolina? It was. It um, For 118 years, it was the greatest year in Gamecock football history. We were the first team in Gamecock uh, history to win 10 games. And at one point that year, we were 9-0. and 
We were ranked second in the nation. Nebraska was number one. They were 9-0. and And they lost to Oklahoma that day. So here's our opportunity uh, to go out and beat Navy. We'll jump up to 10-0. and And in all likelihood, we're going to the Orange Bowl and play for a national championship. And um, we went out that afternoon and laid an egg, and Navy beat the brakes off of us. Yeah, that was and, uh, amazing right there, your season there. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it was like, you you guys were at the crap table and aren't. I mean, you were just winning. Just to just to take you back in that schedule, I'm a big time Notre Dame fan, and I was 12 years old that year, and I can remember you guys won 36-32 in Notre Dame. Notre Dame had Burline, they had uh, Tim Brown, Bavaro, to name a few guys. They had a stacked team there, and you guys went in there and beat them. And uh, who who were some of the guys you were blocking in that game? Let me tell you, they had even more talent than that. You're exactly right. But they had Mike Golick. Oh, that's right, uh, yeah. Yeah, Hiawatha Francisco. They had a big defensive uh, tackle named Wally Klein. They had a guy named Mike Gann that played for the Falcons for a number of years. I mean, they were loaded, but their problem was they were coached by a guy named Jerry Faust. And I don't mean to to (laughs) be a little Coach Faust or to knock him, but – had a great career as a high school coach. I just think he was in over his head at Notre Dame. And uh, that's probably, next to the Clemson game, my senior year, 1984, the most memorable game because you're exactly right. We uh, we scored 26 points in the fourth quarter to win that football game, and it was just a back-and-forth football game. In those 26 points we scored in the fourth quarter, we're right there at that end zone where touchdown Jesus is. And, uh, you know, Growing up a college football fan like I was, man, I uh, i mean, I knew the history of Notre Dame. I mean, I, I, you know, I followed college football. And to be able to walk into that stadium with that history and everything that had taken place on that field and inside that stadium, man, it was a special day for us to go up there and beat Notre Dame. And I'll tell you, Pat, when we got back home to Columbia that night, we flew into Columbia, and the pilot came over the uh, intercom on the uh, – on the plane, and he said there are approximately twelve to 15,000 people at the airport waiting for wow. you guys to land. And I'm telling you, it was like nothing I've ever been through. Not only were there twelve or 15,000 people at the airport, but they, had, they were lined four and five deep on the side of the road that went from the airport to our athletic dorm at the University of South Carolina. It was just, um, I've never been through anything like that in all my life when we came back from Notre Dame that Saturday after going up there and beating the Fighting Irish. That's why college football is, is wonderful. Like, things like that, uh, you know, you're coming home from the big game. It's so pure, and it's like it, you get all, all the, it means everything to the town, to the state. I love hearing stories about that. And it's funny because when I, I was looking at the schedule today to kind of take me back, and I had forgotten the Navy loss. I knew you guys had Oklahoma State in uh, – was Barry Sanders on that team, the Oklahoma State then? Uh, Thurman Thomas was on oh, that team. Oh, Thurman Thomas. Wow, okay. Yeah. So I remember and, that uh, game that, uh, that you had in the bowl, but I couldn't remember the Navy loss. And I was like, were you guys – when you went in the Navy, was it – I don't remember Navy's record that year. Was it one of those Navy teams that were just that good, or they just picked you guys off when you just were on fire? Was it one of those things? You know, they weren't that good. They were a depleted team. Uh, Napoleon McCallum was, you know, a Heisman-type candidate player going into that year, and he got hurt and he missed most of the year. They'd only won three games 
so, you know, going into that game with us, and I'll tell you what they did. They caught us at a real good time. The week before we went to Navy to play them, I went to Annapolis. We played Florida State on, on ABC. It was a game of the week. Uh, back then, you know, you didn't get all every game on TV. You right. just got a select few. And um, I think we were ranked fifth in the country. Florida State was ranked seventh. And it was ABC's game of the week. And we played them in Columbia. And uh, and we beat the we beat the snot out of those guys, and then following Navy, we, we had Clemson. So Navy was sandwiched in between Florida State and Clemson, and I think because of such the convincing way that we beat Florida State on national TV, there was probably an overconfident thing going on there. And uh, we had an opportunity the first two times we had the football against Navy, we drove it down their throat. We got inside the ten yard line. We fumbled. The next time we got inside the 10, we threw an interception in the end zone. And we kept making mistakes that let those guys stay in the game. And the longer they stayed in the game, the more confidence they had that they could beat us. And they ended up doing it. And it literally cost us an opportunity to play for a national championship. And that's what's so great about, about the game. Like, you got to play the game, you know, because I'm sure everyone was penciling that one in, the fans or the media, whatever, as, okay, we got Clemson coming up after your Navy game. But that's what the greatness of college football is when you're watching it. It doesn't even matter what game is on when you got a, a big time team. So uh, that's incredible. I just uh, I, I I was like I said I was 12. I remember I, I had a big gulp Slurpee that I just threw on the ground <laughs> when, during the Notre Dame game when you guys were scoring in the fourth quarter. But it's just like uh, I can remember that like yesterday. It's funny the things that we remember. Now, you know, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. One, one quick thing, uh, one other thing about college football that I want to throw out at you. That was um, that was where I met Brian Pillman. I, I, I don't know really? if a lot of the fans realize what a great football player Pillman was, but my junior year at South Carolina, uh, the University of Miami at Ohio came to Columbia to play us, and uh, Pillman was a starting nose guard for the University of Miami at Ohio, and um, was quite a ball player. I, we, we played. I played against him that entire game. And uh, so that's that's how I got to know Brian. And, of course, later, you know, our careers crossed in, in professional wrestling. So uh, that was another little tidbit of information about my college football career. You know, I wonder, you uh, know Curtis Hughes, uh, the pro wrestler, Kurt, uh, Mr. Hughes, Curtis Hughes. Do you remember him? Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had him on not a couple years ago. And we were what I love talking about with uh, a lot of you guys from the pro wrestling world is the guys who came up in big time college football programs. It it's, fascinates me. I think he went to Kansas State, and I, I know you guys played them. Was he playing up against you guys? It's hard to recall. I know, but do you remember playing uh, him at all when you guys went against Kansas State? I don't. We I can't they came remember. to Columbia in '84, my senior year, and and we beat them forty-five to ten. But I don't recall if Curtis was on that team or not. Yeah, I can't uh, either. Darn. Yeah, I sure don't. I just remember, like, his story was they just got their ass kicked for all the years he was there. Uh, they didn't mm-hmm. have great teams. And uh, you have a story where you were definitely there for a great run at South Carolina. And uh, I was just wondering, who were some of the guys as a guard that you can think back to were just – Giving you, uh, you know, making you eat your lunch that day when it's hard to guard. You have any guys you remember that are just so tough to play against? Oh yeah, absolutely. I I, I played against uh, William the Refrigerator Perry. Oh my we God, the, that must have hurt you back. We played in the same um, conference in high school. We played against each other in high school. He played at Aiken High. I played at Omaha. We were in the same conference. We played each other every year. 
Then, of course, at Clemson, we played against each other for four years. So I played against William uh, for six years. Um, of course, I played against Golick and, and Mike Gann up at Notre Dame. I played against a guy named Bill Moss from the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, played against a guy by the name of Chris Dolman for the Univers- University of Oh, yeah, of Dolman, wow. Yeah, Von Jackson, a great linebacker at North Carolina State. William Fuller, a great defensive lineman at North Carolina. Uh, played against some great talent at the University of Georgia. Uh, uh, Michael Michael Dean Perry, William Perry's brother, was a great player. He had about a 10-year career with the Broncos. I played against him at Clemson. So um, I had the opportunity to play against some, some very talented uh, defensive linemen, and I was very fortunate that my senior year at South Carolina, I was uh, voted captain of that team, voted the most valuable player of that team, and uh, also a first-team consensus All-American. So had some good fortune and was able to end my career at South Carolina with uh, with a great year as a team and also a lot of great cognition, you know, for me as a player as well. So couldn't be more happy with the way things turned out for my four years as a Gamecock. Awesome. I appreciate you talking about that with us because, like we said, uh, here on the show, besides the wrestling, we're always talking college football and things like that. And we're talking here on 1640 PWPR, King Fire Rock Show, with the Patriot, Dale Wilkes. He was uh, He's on uh, – a fundraiser campaign here. Uh, he's in good hands, as we talked about, to trying to raise the money to put together the documentary of his life, The Man Behind the Mask, and we're going to segue in a second to some of the wrestling uh, portion of Dell's life. And as you heard, um, he's talking about it all on the DVD uh, that we're trying to hit the goal. So those of you out there, I will give all the information at the end because it's a lot, but I want you to get a clear view of how to... Uh, contribute the types of things you can get if you contribute and uh, it's really cool because the documentary is going to cover a lot of this stuff that we're just touching on with Dell and the college football career was a really good one and uh, at a great time you were there and uh, those are the days of college football now I'm going to ask you a question Dell kind of jumping ahead and then I'll come right back okay. you were in a big time college football program which was on TV, everybody's watching, ESPN was around at the time, you're playing uh, high-profile games, the school, it's important to make bowl games. So there's a lot of pressure, you know, every week playing, all eyes on you type thing, very similar to the world of pro wrestling, which is what you entered. And going ahead a little bit, I wondered, you obviously had the skill set to accomplish your goals in both. Uh you were at a high level in both because, as I mentioned to start the show, all the federations you were in were high profile in terms of being on television. So I remember seeing you on ESPN as the trooper in AWA. I remember Global like it was yesterday. I remember coming home from school, oh, cool, a new wrestling show. I can remember <laughs> you and Bret Hart at WCW. So you were you had a career that was very high profile in terms of people saw you all the time. And... Uh, but you're under the mask, so we'll get to that part in a minute. But pressure-wise, and I guess skill-wise, which was more challenging for you of the two to sort of uh, meet your goals and, and get to the accomplishments? Was it harder on your body and your mind and to travel to play football, or did you find it more challenging for uh, wrestling, considering both obviously you had to work at to excel at, but which of the two would you say was the most challenging for you to really perfect your craft? Well, each in their own way was very, very challenging. Um, 
I've got a son that's 18 years old. He just graduated from high school, and he got the opportunity to continue to play football, and he's going to go to college and play football. And I've told him time and time again, uh, the biggest jump you'll ever make in football is that transition from high school to college. It's phenomenal, the the gap. Wow. Uh, Because, you know, when you've got guys that are juniors or seniors in college, they're grown men. They're full-grown men. They're probably not going to get any bigger or any faster when they go to the NFL. They'll get better at what they do. But from a physical standpoint, they're mature and they're developed. And as a kid coming out of high school, that is overwhelming. And I remember the first few weeks of practice when I went from high school to college, I got physically dominated because I was just not to that maturity level physically. Right. So that was a challenge in and of itself. But the challenge for pro wrestling is totally different. It's a different thing you're having to learn. Sure, you can incorporate your athletic ability into it, but that was probably a little harder uh, because of the fact that by the time I got into pro wrestling, it wasn't like it had been before where you had so many places around the country where you could go work and become better at your craft and better at your profession. There just wasn't those places where a guy could go and work night after night after night after night like they used to have with the territories. That wasn't around when I uh, broke into the business. Sure, I worked for the AWA, but by that time they were basically just a TV company and they just ran TV shows and occasionally we'd run a spot show here and there. Global was the same thing. We basically only worked Fridays and Saturdays. Every now and then we'd work a spot show somewhere. So I think that was probably tougher because you couldn't consistently work night after night after night after night to get better at your job and get better as a professional wrestler. Now, having done both of those, from a physical standpoint, wrestling was far tougher on me and on my body than football could ever be. Um, I had my right wrist fused last November. That was my 15th orthopedic surgery. Wow. Only two of them, only two of them came from football. Wow, that's incredible. came from what wrestling did to me. And the reason it was so tough on you physically is there was no off-season. You did it. Once you, you know, got to that level where you were working, you know, a full-time schedule in WCW or WWF or All Japan, you were working night after night with a brutal, brutal travel schedule, and you just didn't have the time to recuperate and rest. Football, you had 10, 12 games, and it was done. You had four or five months to rest. But with wrestling, you didn't have that. And you couple that with the fact that I spent a large part of my career in Japan working for BABA and All Japan, where it was a much more physical type of work there. Uh, football can't compare to wrestling as far as the toll that it took on my body. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, and quite often the, the same answer that a lot of guys give. We've talked to Vader on the show before. And I, I said Mr. Hughes and a few other guys that played uh, football, and they, they all say the same thing. Plus, the travel has got to be crazy compared yeah. to uh, – it's just it like is. it's amazing what you guys go through to do all that. All right, let me ask you a few questions here. We'll go through the, the federations for a few minutes. Um, and, of course, we will give out all the information we want you. If you're interested in what we're talking about tonight, which is really interesting, go over to Kickstarter, and we're going to give that information out. Uh, Elbow Docs, it's the Twitter feed. At Elbow Docs is the Twitter that you guys can tweet and find out information. They had the link, kickstarter.com backslash projects backslash 
one two four four five, and it'll take you right to Dell Welks, the Patriots man behind the mask. Uh, excuse me, man behind the mask uh, page, in which you can decide what you would like to contribute to the project to help Dell get funded in order to make the documentary, which uh, is definitely going to be a good one, as Dell has lived a very interesting life in uh, many different high-level uh, fields, as we're talking tonight. Which takes us down to the, the wrestling portion. This question, uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here too, but we don't want to give everything away. We want the people to enjoy the doc, the doc that's going to come out. But you being in football, you had a helmet on, but for the most part, you had the fame that you had because people could see who you were. They knew who you were to the number, and you were experiencing life as a popular player for a popular college, uh, you know, high-profile football team. So you're basically what you do is either talked about, good, bad, or indifferent, but it's sort of like there's a face to the name. When you uh, really started rolling in pro wrestling as the Patriot, especially the Bret Hart years, it's all Japan was like some incredible stuff. All the work was great. WCW, you got the exposure as well. But with Bret Hart, that was so big time, and it felt like, a lightning bolt. All of a sudden you were there, you were involved with Bret Hart, and you're wearing a mask. So achieving a lot of the fame you did as a pro wrestler, was it enjoyable to have the mask to sort of escape it when you needed to travel and get around? Or did you feel that you were kind of missing out on some of the, some of the stuff that the other guys were getting? It's like a double-edged sword fame. So I wondered when you were traveling, if you didn't travel without the mask, and if you did, was it much easier on your career to kind of get in and out of places without the fans recognizing you, where, you know, you'd be in the same airport with Vader or, or Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart or somebody, and they're getting seen right away. What was that like? Well, I liked it, and I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed working with the mask on. Uh, at first, it was a little difficult to get used to, but once I got used to it, I, I thought it went perfect with the character. I thought it should have been a masked character. But as far as the travel end of it, and... You know, I always, uh, whether I was on the bus in Japan or whether I was in a rental car or a limo here in the States, uh, as we would approach the building, I would put my mask on. I would wear it into the building. Uh, once we were ready to leave the building, I would put it back on. So anytime I had interaction with the fans at the venue, I had my mask on. Now, I wasn't like Dick Byer. Dick wore his out in public, and uh, I didn't do that. Once I was away from the venue, away from the building, the mask came off. And I walked around, you know, like everybody else. And it was pretty good not to be recognized a lot of times because, sure, we have ego, and especially in the, the business that we were in, I mean, you've got to have ego to be in that business, and it's good to be noticed, and it's great to be noticed, but there are times you don't want to be noticed. Right. And you want to be left alone. And I could do that. Now, especially in Japan, uh, after a while, the people could put two and two together. When you see a group of Americans walking around, <laughs> and you recognize every single face, right. and there's a face you don't recognize, well, those folks were smart enough to know, hey, that's got to be the Patriot without his mask. And um, But uh, it did afford me that ability to a lot of times just sort of go under the radar and, and not be noticed. And I think it probably does link back to that football mentality. I think the group of guys, I don't think, I know, for a fact, the one group of players on a football team that always go unnoticed are your offensive linemen. And, uh, you know, you, you just toll away in anonymity, 
Uh, there are no stats on offensive linemen. Uh, so you're probably the least noticed guys on the team. And that sort of carried over into my wrestling career away from the building. I didn't have that mask on, but I sort of blended in with everybody else. And uh, I was perfectly fine with that. Interesting. They know you when there's a flag called on you, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better believe they do. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back talking about some of the wrestling federations that Dell was involved with. Hey, if you want to contribute, and I say you should because uh, this sounds like a great project, and Dell has such an interesting life that we're going to talk a little bit more about here on the King Firehawk Show on 1640 PWPR. Once again, the easiest way for you out there, and we'll put up all the links when we send out the show, but go to Twitter, at ElbowDocs. Simply just click on the link. It's kickstarter.com backslash projects backslash 12445. Dell the Patriot Welks, and you can contribute to getting this documentary made. Uh, any amount that you like to give is acceptable. And, of course, there are different uh, sort of like little prizes that you can get for amounts. One of the coolest things that there's so much in there is the DVDs you can get, the different uh, things. I always saw one where I think you could have dinner with you, Dell, which is interesting, as well yeah. as uh, get your name on the project. And I think that's really cool. So we'll be right back uh, right after this. That's right, here at 1640 PWPR. It's a party, all right, as the family grows and grows and the home of Pro Wrestling Podcast Radio and more keeps on giving you out there some great quality shows, great talent, great ideas, great jokes, great fun, great information, and everything you could possibly want from radio shows and podcasts, all here on 1640 PWPR. Now, we are in a talent search at the moment. Are you a veteran out there looking to get your show in a place that will be heard by a lot more people out there and a lot more platforms? Or are you a rookie upstart that just flipped a switch and started your podcast looking to get in the minds of fans out there? Well, could be that this is your lucky day. Here at 1640 PWPR, the home of Pro Wrestling Podcast Radio, and more, we are looking to add shows to the family. Simply tweet us at 1640 PWPR. Let us know that you're interested or what you got going on. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash 1640 PWPR. Send us a note and we'll get back in touch with you. Also, download Spreaker. The Spreaker app today as all our shows are up on the Spreaker platform so they can be listened to and downloaded worldwide. Of course, Apple iTunes, 1640 PWPR is on Apple iTunes, as well as TalkShoe.com, and once again, Spreaker, which everybody, you got to jump on the bandwagon and get with Spreaker. Everybody loves that Spreaker app. It's very easy to play, very easy to access. And uh, fans out there can uh, play it on their smartphone or on their laptops or whatever else great devices that they have. But once again, here at 1640 PWPR, the family is growing and growing. And maybe you'll grow with us too. I'm King Firehawk. 
All right, we're back here on the King Firehawk Show. It's I, Pat, and uh, we are in the middle of a very fun interview with the Patriot, uh, Del Welks, who, of course, played for the South Carolina Gamecocks. He's been in every federation in the late 80s that was on TV. It's amazing. And as a, a young kid, I still uh, can think back, flipping on ESPN mid-afternoons, getting home from school, either with the AWA or Global, seeing him, and I still remember like yesterday the flag match I believe with Bret Hart and uh, catching him in Japan and everything else in between of course WCW so let's talk a little bit about the wrestling because uh, this is the home of pro wrestling podcast radio and more and we've covered it and more which is usually my portion to the station where we go outside wrestling a little bit with the football but let's give the fans what they want here Dell. so the AWA, when you get there, I remember you very well as the trooper. I can remember um, I was a big AWA fan. I'm from New Jersey, so we got, when I was very young, the WWF, but we got AWA here too. I love Jerry Blackwell, the Road Warriors, Hogan when he was there. I hated mm-hmm. Bockwinkle Heenan like I was supposed to as a kid. So I, I did follow the AWA, and I wondered from your perspective, you know, you're getting your start, you're there, you're on television, so, you know, all's going well in terms of getting seen. Vern Gagne in those days, you know, what was it like when the, the show was coming to, I guess, closing down soon, even though uh, ESPN was airing it, was, uh, did what was the feeling like there? Were you, I guess let me rephrase, and then uh, the floor is yours, of course, was the feeling doom and gloom, or were you just happy there to, to get the experience and you were cool with everything what was it like the final days at the awa well i was happy to be there it was my first big break in the business and uh, i'll always be eternally grateful to Vern and greg for giving me that opportunity and it was actually wahoo that uh, who was working for them at the time he's still in the ring worked and he also worked in the office and the, the great wahoo yeah, mcdaniel yeah wahoo mcdaniel oh, and yeah. wahoo he, came, he still had his home in Charlotte, even though he was staying uh, part-time up in Minneapolis. And he came down to Columbia, and he worked a show, and I was on the card. And uh, we just hit it off right away. And, and he literally just, you know, he took a liking to me. And so he told Vern and Greg about me when he got back to Minneapolis, and they brought me in and, and gave me my first big break. And, and I was on ESPN, uh, you know, Monday through Friday from 4 to 5 o'clock. So I was excited to be there. And I was excited about the opportunity I had. I had the opportunity to work with, with Wahoo and be around Ray Stevens. Ray was up there then. And um, it was a, a great learning experience for me. But also, too, I did recognize the fact that the company was in trouble. Mm. And um, there was some frustration from Vern in that and from Greg because this was one of the great territories. I mean, all the people you named plus more came through the AWA, uh, you know, and, I mean, so many big stars came through oh, there. Yeah. Their roster and, in 1983 alone was insane. This, like, oh, yeah. you know, what Vince took from them was uh, amazing. But in 1983, the AWA can lay claim to being probably maybe the top fed. They, they had everybody there. So, yes, the lineage was amazing for them. And, 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 and you could tell there was, uh, you know, as I was saying, a sense of frustration from Vern. Uh, he was working so hard to keep this thing going and there was always the hope of some big company that was going to come along and partner with Vern and just put a lot of money uh, uh, a big amount of money that was going to be infused into the into the company and into the 
the AWA, but that never materialized. Uh, for a long time, there was talk of Viacom coming along, and they were going to drop a lot of cash into this and, and just you know rejuvenate uh, the AWA. And um, so there was always that hope, that carrot that was being dangled in front of us, but there was also that sense of frustration from Vern that Vince and, and had come in and just robbed him of all this talent that he had created, and then they come along and robbed it from him. So, you know, it, it, you did get that frustration, but also at the same time there was always that hope that, you know, big money was just right around the corner and this thing was going to continue to go. Unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. Yeah, it was sad, and, you know, as history tells us, a lot of the guys went down anyway, so probably, you know, if the AWA lasted, maybe not would have been as long, but it was such a great federation and incredible, the talent that came through there. You know, and then you moved to Global, another uh, organization that I remember on ESPN, and that's where, is that your first exposure of putting the mask on to become the Patriot in Global? Because I don't remember you in AWA as the Patriot. No, uh, listen, Pat, that came as a total shock to me. That was dropped in my lap literally hours before we would do our very first TV taping for Global Love. I had uh, Joe Petticino or either Bill Eady contact me, and, and, and they wanted me to come out and, and uh, be a part of the GWF. Uh, so when I got my plane ticket and I flew out that Friday to go to Dallas, uh, we were going to film in the sportatorium that was going to be the global dome the sportatorium and uh, i'm literally at the hotel just a few hours before we leave to go to the building to get ready to work and to tape our first show and uh Petacino called me and said look i need you to come over to my room we were staying at the same hotel so i walked over and there sit Petacino and bonnie blackstone and and bill Eden, and they dropped this idea on me i said hey We've got an idea. And, and for those that remember, it was a very patriotic time in our country because we were involved in the Persian Gulf War. Iraq had gone into Kuwait right. and had occupied Kuwait, so we sent our military in to liberate Kuwait. So patriotism was really, really at a fever pitch. And they said, look, we can take advantage of the patriotism that's going on in the country right now, and here's what we're thinking, here's our idea. And they literally had a costume box there where they pulled out the tights, the trunks, and the red, white, and blue mask and said, will you do it? And I said, absolutely, I'm all in. And uh, so that came as a complete surprise to me. I took my gear uh, to work as the trooper, and literally hours before our first show, this idea was presented to me, and I just took it and ran with it. And, of course, that night, the reaction I got from the crowd when I walked through that curtain and ran down the aisle to the ring was just phenomenal. And I could tell by the reaction from the crowd immediately that we were on to something good. And uh, and it did. It, 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 it took my career to a different level and was a very popular character. Yeah, definitely. Talk about being in the right place in the right time because the Trooper was cool, and that has a run. But, you know, obviously financial is the, is the main part of we're all working for a living. So maybe that trooper could have landed with Vince where, you know, he had the Mountie and things like that. So the gimmick could have probably gotten you somewhere, but the Patriot was just like, if you're going to have a gimmick, that was just a fantastic one because no one's ever going to fall out of love with an American Patriot in America. So it's uh, definitely a great uh, moment for you there. Now, was Eddie Gilbert booking that at the time when you were there? Yeah, Eddie was... uh... If memory serves me correct, I'm not sure if he was a part of that very first show, 
but he was brought in shortly thereafter. If he wasn't there for the first show, he was brought in shortly thereafter. And so he did work with Bill and Joe and, and, and booking and creativity and things like that. Yeah, I was a big Eddie Gilbert fan, and I do remember him being part of that. And Global was around, I think they were... They weren't around that long, but they ran the shows over and over. And you know what? I think still on ESPN Classics, they're on sometimes. And a lot of names came through there as well. Um, and that was a good spot for you because, once again, you you had uh, television getting your name out there. So if you want to, at least from a standpoint of who you are, you know, the after mags were out there doing their job. But really, TV was doing the jobs what after mags did the decade before for everybody. So you were... Definitely getting seen because here we are up in New Jersey, and I'm seeing what's going down in Texas. So that was a, a good moment for you as well. Did you stay to the end of Global, or had you moved on to uh, WCW after before that was over? No, I uh, I left before Global uh, went out of business and, and and folded. But I didn't go to WCW. I had um, uh, I went to Japan. Oh, you went to uh, Japan for to- okay. Yeah, I had gone one time as a trooper to Japan and worked for Baba in all Japan. And um, it didn't go very well. I, I really wasn't prepared for that style, uh, for those type of matches, those long matches with 50 fault finishes and yeah. you know, a 20-minute finish. And it just sort of was overwhelming that first tour, and I didn't do very well. Uh, but let me, let me ask you me, this as well, just because it piqued my curiosity. You know, we just lost Dusty Rhodes, and, and we did tribute shows on here. And one of the things we were talking about in the tribute show is Dusty went to Japan, and he's many times said that he didn't really like it over there because the American Dream character was not huge there because of what the American Dream stood for. So I, I wonder, when you were describing the style over there, was it also tough to be the Patriot in Japan to in order to... Uh, Get over as a babyface the way you were here. How how did that gimmick translate to Japan at first? Well, real well. As a matter of fact, when I went back for my second tour, the first being as the trooper, the second as the patriot. I mean, man, they just fell in love with me. Really? Oh, that's and, uh, cool. Okay. Yeah. And and, and, and Baba's company was a little different, uh, and and that fan base that followed all Japan was a little different. There really weren't any heels or babyfaces. They enjoyed. The action in the ring, uh, there really wasn't any type of, uh, you know, angles or feuds or anything like that. It was just, you know, if you went out and worked hard and you put on a good show and you had good matches, then they appreciated you, whether you were Stan Hansen or, or the Patriot or Kabashi. So there really wasn't that babyface heel aspect of the All Japan fan base and, and the way we did things in All Japan. You know, our popularity was based on what happened inside that ring. And uh, so I was accepted very well there, man. It, uh, I mean, it went over great there. Hanson uh, is the reason why I discovered Japan wrestling. I just loved Stan Hanson there. What Describe for me as being there. I hear he was big time, but people didn't appreciate, I think, Hanson as he was big time over there. What, what was it like observing him, being around him and the funks, I guess, were over there? I mean, you were with some major legends working in that ter- in that territory in Japan. H- how was it like for those guys uh, operating in the country? Were they ridiculously over? What was it like for you guys? Oh, it, it, it's unbelievable. And for for people in America that have never experienced what it was like to work in Japan for Baba, 
at that time it was phenomenal. Now, I've worked with some great talent in WCW and Global and the WWF, but the greatest roster I've ever worked with in my life was in all Japan at that particular time. I, I worked there two different times, but when you've got a bus carrying Americans, it's got Terry Gordy, Dr. Death Steve Williams, yeah, Johnny oh, Ace, Stan Hansen, Doug Furnace, Danny Crawford, uh, the Fantastics came in and worked a lot, the Patriot. Then you've got a Japanese bus that's got Mazawa, Kabashi, Kawada, uh, Poway, uh, Baba. Now also on that American bus from time to time was Abdul the Butcher, uh, Dory Funk. Wow. I mean, man, that's phenomenal. Yeah, talent. that that's is incredible. Talent. And uh, Stan, there's never been an American in Japan like Stan. Uh, the only thing that would come close to it would have been Bruce or Brody, but Hanson was the Elvis Presley of Gaijin wow. wrestlers in Japan. Yeah, he, he was at a different level than, than the rest of us. Of all those gut names you just named, who who do you think you felt the closest with or learned the most from or kind of rolled with? Was any of the, those guys the guys that are kind of like helping you out over there just learning the craft? Well, Hanson, uh, I sat right behind him on the bus, so That's awesome. I had years and years and years of just, you know, one-on-one conversations with Stan about after the match, uh, uh, after the show, you know, what he saw in the match and what maybe I should have done, or just talking about other matches and just picking his brain. And um, But then from the Japanese end of it, uh, the most fun I've ever had, as a professional wrestler, was the years I spent in Japan. Those were the most rewarding, satisfying years. Um, and my greatest matches uh, were with Jackie Fulton and I when we were a tag team working with Crawford and Furnace. And then from the Japanese standpoint, working with Kabashi. I think Kabashi is the toughest guy I've ever worked around. I think he's the greatest worker I've ever been in the ring with. And it was phenomenal. And it's funny how you just mesh with some guys. There's some guys, I don't care if you work with them 300 times, you, you might be lucky to get one good match every 10 times. But I never had a bad match with Kabashi, whether it was single matches or tag teams. And we just meshed well together. And uh, I, uh, I just have nothing but fond memories and, and great times and great matches of every single time I got into a ring with Kabashi, whether he was my tag team partner or whether we were working against him. Let me ask you this question. I'm going to craft it with respect because I I definitely don't want to know what your finances are or anything. But in terms of working for these federations, in terms of what you were earning compared to dates worked, which obviously less dates, the more you earn is very favorable, and just an enjoyment factor. I'm not asking for numbers. I'm just saying in your mind, the place where you made a really good living, the uh, – you enjoyed the schedule, and you just loved the in-ring action, what you were doing. Which one of the federations was most satisfying to you on that type of level? It's hands down. It's far and away. It's an easy answer. All Japan. Wow. Far and away. Um, I I made comparable money to what I was making in the States, Uh, but the thing about it was is I would go over for three weeks. We'd do a three-week tour. I'd come home. I'd I'd have 14, 15 days off, 17 days off. And you'd go back and do a four-week tour, and you'd come home and have three weeks off. And go back and do a two-week tour, and come home and have ten days off. So when I was home, I had nothing but time to be with my family. I had to be oh, nothing. Oh, that's nice. Go to the gym, can. But the only 
negative thing about working in Japan is because of the style of work, the style of matches, it took a very, very heavy toll on my body. It was just much more physical. And uh, that's where I sustained all the injuries that eventually ended my career was in Japan. So that was my most enjoyable times, but from a, a body standpoint, it took the heaviest toll on me. Yeah, I mean, just as a fan watching Japan, it looked incredibly hard-hitting and stiff, which was uh, watching this stuff, even when Dynamite Kid was over there doing the crazy stuff, it just looked incredibly like hard work. And um, for me as a fan back then, you know, a lot of the people listening to the podcast, the younger kids, they just click on a computer, can go to YouTube, find all that stuff. Where back in the, when I was young, you know, in my teens in the early uh, 20s you had a tape trade you had to find someone who was you know coming back uh find finding these things was very hard to do to see that stuff and when you could it was just like christmas day over and over getting to see the japan work and now it's all over youtube for those of you who are listening to go and, and simply enjoy what dell's talking about it was definitely fantastic wrestling and for me i really enjoyed how the quiet the crowd was and then you know, because they're being respectful, but then they did pop. You know, when the moments were right, and uh, to get them to pop and kind of break tradition of sitting there quietly, that was really cool. That means you really dominate that audience into following along, and uh, it looked very satisfying. So, as a big fan of that style, it's cool to hear you say that. So, all right, so let's do this, Dell. Let's tell everyone once again that. If you'd like to help contribute to the Kickstarter fundraiser that we're do, uh, Dell is part of here, in order to fund the documentary, in which uh, you can be part of it, you can put any uh, money amount that you'd like to. Uh, different amounts get you different items. Uh, the coolest thing is, for very affordable amount, you can at the very least get your name on the project, and I think that's that's really a cool thing, kind of brings you as part of it is helping out and you'll hear stories like these as Dell described as he's going to go through his life and his career and uh, the good times and bad and all that sounds like a wonderful project to be part of all you have to do to make it really easy and we'll put out as I said uh, info notes later in the show but go on to Twitter elbow docs at elbow docs and they simply have the link right there for you kickstarter.com backslash projects backslash 12445 and that is the man behind the mask the patriot Dell Weeks and you can uh, help fund this project and uh, it's definitely going to be interesting when you hit your goal and uh, we can see this documentary so let's move on to WCW and WWF a little bit and we appreciate the time you're taking with us Dell I know you're a busy guy and uh I'm really enjoying our conversation here. You've lived an incredible life. I mean, like I said, being a pro wrestler, college football player, uh, you know, you've had some hard times that we'll touch on a little bit. Uh, you know, how you've come through it is very admirable, which is one of the reasons why you should fund the project because wrestling fans love it when, you know, unfortunately, if guys go down when they get back up. I mean, we love you guys for that. We love the entertainment that you provided and, Definitely, we know the sacrifice of being on the road, so we appreciate that uh, very much. So, tell us, how did you end up in WCW, and was it as crazy there as everyone likes to say? <laughs> well, I ended up there. Um, I um, 
I knew Eric Bischoff from my days in the AWA. Eric did uh, our TV for us. He was our, you know, color commentator on our show. Um, and, of course, he was now running WCW. Uh, Greg Gagne was now working for WCW. Uh, at that particular time, they were booking by committee. It was Dusty and Flair and Arn and Kevin Sullivan and Greg Gagne that were on the booking committee. So I had that AWA connection with Gagne and Bischoff. And um, Bischoff reached out to me. I, I um, went over to Atlanta. I only live about three hours from Atlanta. So I drove over to, over to Atlanta one day and sat down with Eric, and, and we hammered out a three-year deal and um, put together a contract, and FedExed it to me in a couple of days, and I signed up, and I went to work for WCW. And um, started out, uh, you know, working singles. Um, a little later, they approached me about uh, – uh, getting together with Bagwell and a, a tag team called Stars and Stripes. And, of course, I knew Marcus from the um, our days together in Global when he was working as the handsome stranger and uh, was always a, a big fan of Bagwell's and, and uh, uh, enjoyed our time together as a tag team and our success. Um, I was also there when they uh, uh, had the big coup and, and, and brought in Hogan and Savage right. and Beefcake and all those guys from Vince, and of course that was a big deal, a real big deal. And um, I, um, uh, I think at that time was with all those guys being brought in and the money they were being paid and the attention they were being given, sort of put the rest of us on the back burner, so to speak. And um, so you know, I uh, and, and there were just some other things going on there that I was unhappy with. So um, after a couple of years there, I decided to. I needed to make a move and, and, and get out of there. And there was um, uh, an issue there. I, I met with Eric and, and asked him to, to let me out of my last year of my deal. And he didn't want to do it. And uh, I go into greater detail about it in this documentary. But uh, I guess for lack of a better term, I just walked. And um, I'd already had uh, contact with uh, Mr. Baba and uh, some folks here in the office in all Japan and I was supposed to be at a pay-per-view, and I think it was Tupelo, Mississippi, or somewhere like that. But uh, I was on a plane to Tokyo, and <laughs> I got out of there. But I enjoyed I enjoyed uh, the relationships that I had there, and I'm still very close to, or, or I still am in contact with Mark Bagwell, and, and we're, we're good friends, and I appreciate a lot of the relationships that I had there and the friendships that were made, but... Uh, I think the longer I was there, the unhappier I became. And so after a couple of years, I just uh, I got the heck out of Dodge. Yeah, and that's a nice little teaser for the documentary right there. We all look forward to hearing that story. That's pretty cool, well-placed. Uh, I'm definitely interested in that because, you know, a lot of a lot of craziness come out of that, of all the stories that leaked through the years of what went on and, and whatnot. So it should be interesting to hear that. And you can on the documentary, but we have to get there first, people. You have to be part of this documentary and fund it. I'm telling you, you have to be because it's fascinating. We're just touching the tip of the iceberg here as Dell's going to talk about his life very much so like he's doing now. In a short form here, but in long form on the DVDs. All you have to do is go to kickstarter.com backslash projects slash 12445. It is the Patriot Dell Weeks, the man behind the mask. On Twitter, at ElbowDocs. You can tweet them and follow the links on there as well. Follow them on there and uh, 
1640 PWPR in the King Virox show. We are going to have all that up to help you guys find your way because it's uh, definitely an interesting uh, life that you live, Dell. A couple more questions here as we don't want to keep you too long and we want to uh, enjoy the DVD, so we're not going to. We're going to save some nice things for that as well. And we appreciate your time, Dell. I guess my Thank question you. is, I got two more subjects to ask you about. The first one, when I I've been a wrestling fan all my life, so I, you know, I don't sometimes it's a bad thing that I remember so much of this stuff. I probably wish I was better at math or something. <laughs> <laughs> or something more practical later in life, but I remembered it because those were the good old days where I thought the storytelling, the belts, the the feuds, you know, Jimmy Snuka versus Don Morocco made me a lifetime fan from their cage match mm-hmm. at the Garden. And before that, it was just the promos that captured me. So that was still the era where I thought the storytelling and belts meant a lot. That is why I'll never forget when you come to the WWF, it really felt like you literally just showed up thinking back. And all, and it was right at the time when Bret Hart was turning on America, and it once again, television, the Patriot, perfect place, perfect time. It just seemed like the fantastic opportunity, and uh, I, I be honest with you, I couldn't believe that when you got there, you were in such a whole pro- high profile as a fan, because I just never saw you. And this isn't a negative thing. I had not yet seen you except for Japan, really. In really such high-profile moments with such a super superstar, that mm-hmm. when you got to the WF, I thought they were paying as a fan talking now the ultimate compliment. You're in here with Bret Hart at this time frame and things going on, and uh, I loved it. I thought it was the coolest thing. So, tell me a little bit about the WWF, and obviously, I'm sure the DVD will have a lot of it. So, save some good stuff for the DVD. But give me an overview of your experience there, how you liked working. America versus Canada, and uh, it felt like you were there in and out almost. So just talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Well, it does seem like I was in and out, and in actuality, that's what happened. I um, I was ready to come back home to the States and work um, the, the physical nature of Japan. I, you know, I've gone back to Japan for a couple of years, and just the physical nature of uh, I'd had a couple of very serious injuries that were really, really uh, bothering me that, that, that just had an effect on my ability to do things in the ring. So I just felt like I needed to get back to the States where it wasn't as physical and, and maybe I could extend my career some because I could tell that these, these injuries were, were career-threatening. And uh, so, uh, you know, I had met with Vince several times before, even back as far back as the early 90s about going to work up there, but it just never worked out. The timing just wasn't right for either side, but it presented itself again. And um, uh, Bruce Pritchett, uh, I knew Bruce from the global days, and, uh, of course, he was working in the office at the WWF, and um, he uh, set up a meeting for me and Vince and and JR, so I I flew in and sat down with Vince, and and basically about like I did with Bischoff, we... uh, in a short matter of time, we, we hammered out a three-year deal. They um, FedExed me a contract, and I signed it, and I signed up for three years. And immediately was put in uh, the Bret Hart uh, Canada versus America angle. Um, at first, Vince expressed some apprehension about a masked guy 
getting over uh, at that particular time. He just felt like maybe, you know, it wasn't something that could happen in the States again. A mass guy could get over, but uh, I think he saw right away from the re- reaction that I got from the fans uh, that indeed a mass guy and that character could get over with the fans. So they put me in that spot, in that slot with Brett, and it was a perfect fit. It was perfect timing because, as you said, Brett was turning on American, becoming anti-American. Well, man, guess what? Here comes the Patriot. Here comes a guy that's basically dressed in a flag. He's waving a flag, and it was just perfect timing for it. And uh, it was good, and things were going great. But unfortunately, uh, my body just could not hold up, and I, I just was unable to continue and, and had to retire shortly thereafter due to uh, the repetitive, repetitive injuries and, and the nature of those injuries. So um, your assessment that it happened quick and it was over quick was correct. But uh, unfortunately, there was very little I could do about that. My body had just failed me at that point, and I was physically unable to continue. But I enjoyed my time there. Uh, I uh, I was glad to finally be able to work for Vince in the WWF, uh, you know, one of the greatest promoters that's, promoters that's ever lived. But, uh, again, unfortunately, due to the nature of my injuries, it was just uh, it was short-lived. And you know what? As well as it being short-lived, it was so incredibly over because to this day, everyone remembers that, remembers your involvement in it. So you definitely, at the time, were on fire. And uh, being paired up against the Hart Foundation at the time, Brett, and uh, family members, I I remember you teaming with Vader and stuff. Uh, It's remembered to this day. So, I mean, it's not. it takes two to tango. So your work in that is, is... timeless it will never be forgotten by wrestling fans so that's uh kudos to you that's really cool that you had those moments as i said you've had an amazing career on television everywhere you were you were pretty much high profile tv where the wrestling portion of your life being a fan that remembers everything but it's just funny how i can remember all these moments in your career just from being on tv so much so that's pretty cool now i got a couple questions here for you that I just want to know if uh, these will be featured on the documentary because they're things I don't want, I don't know, but I want to see it on the documentary. So by my fault to the listeners, I'm teasing this, not Dell. So this is all me because I want to sell uh, everybody on uh, contributing to the uh, Kickstarter and I want uh, this documentary to come out and to see these things. So one of the things that I wasn't clear about and I'm wondering if we'll see that on DVD. There, I've never understood where when you retired, the gimmick went on with uh, with another wrestler in South and Siri, I think it was. Is that discussed on the DVD? Because that timeline of what happens to the Patriot character, I'm kind of like confused on. Is that addressed on the doc? It is, and I don't mind addressing it right now because it is something that that. Uh... Um, but tease it a little it, bit so people can uh, see that, Dell. But, yes, just give me, give me a little highlights of what you're going to discuss from that portion on the dock. I never sold any gimmick or any character to Tom Brandy. Interesting. And ev- evidently I'm the best thing that's ever happened to him because his career was ho-hum as Tom Brandy or as Salvasaurus, whatever it was. But I, I guess he has found um, some success on the independent circuit. Uh, pretending to be me. And yeah, okay. when, I say, when I say he pretends to be me, he pretends to be me. He sells pictures of me. Uh, he wrapped his shoot DVD in a picture of me, and I 
can't tell you how many fans I've communicated with that have actually gone to shows where they thought they were seeing me and even were suspicious enough that when they had a chance to meet the guy that was working as a Patriot that night, they asked, are you Dale Wilkes? And the response they get is, yes, I'm Dale Wilkes. So, um, wow. uh, yeah, that, that's, that's sad. It really is. But uh, that is addressed in greater detail uh, in the DVD. Kickstarter.com backslash projects backslash 12445. I purposely want that teased here. It's not Dell's decision. He's willing to talk about it. But I want you to help out to get this documentary made so we can see this on the documentary because that is something very cool that uh, I'm vaguely familiar with the story. But I, I want all of us to watch it together on the DVD. So uh, blame King Firehawk, your pal out there, for uh, Forcing that tease, Dell. <laughs> uh, you know, this backup question to that, and like I said, I'm teasing it. What made me confused was ECW, Eastern Championship Wrestling at the time, I think they had the Dark Patriot and the Patriot, I think. And I never knew if that was you there as the Patriot or or that scenario you just laid out. No, they, um, after I went through a, a series of surgeries when I had to retire, uh, when I was in the WWF, I made one attempt to get in a ring and work again, and that was in January of 2000. Okay. Any, anybody that's dressed as the Patriot, that comes out as a Patriot, that has gotten into a wrestling ring from January 2000 to this day, it's not Bill Wilkes because I've not done that. So um, anybody you've seen or any match you've seen or any DVD or any video of a guy calling himself a Patriot in a ring working if it happened after January of 2000, it's not me because I'm, I'm just physically unable to do that and wouldn't put myself at risk of doing that. So, no, that wasn't me. Well, you heard it right from Dell right here because I know I've been fooled back in the day just watching some of that stuff. So we're setting the record straight. And if you contribute to kickstarter.com backslash projects backslash 12445, the Patriot, uh, Del Wilkes, the man behind the mask, you're going to hear about that on there too. And uh, I can tell you as an ECW fan and early growing up in Jersey, going down there for Eastern Championship Rest, I thought I was seeing Dell. So very interesting stuff we'll hear on the documentary. Uh, I guess my last question tonight, uh, Dell, and once again, blame me for teasing this because I think this is something that I, the fans out there should see. Not in a short interview, and I'm sure you're willing to talk about it, and I thank you, pre-thank you for that. But on the documentary, I'm looking forward to seeing this. I know you've had some hard times. Uh, from reading the synopsis, the hard times will be addressed on a documentary. I guess my question is, talk as little about it, just to set up what we'll see on the documentary, is my how are you doing now coming through the hard times? Because uh, the documentary seems like a wonderful idea. Just talking to you. I could tell you seem lively, never met you before, but you're just enjoying yourself from my perception of our conversation, and it makes me happy for you. I'm just wondering, how are you doing coming out of the hard times? Are you out of the hard times? How much of the hard times are you going to talk about on the documentary? Well, I'm going to go into great detail about it because, to me, that's maybe one of the most important parts of my life, my story, this project, this documentary is what Dell Wilkes went through after he retired from wrestling, and I'll very briefly um, try to put it into a capsule. Um, as so many of us in that business have experienced 
you're trying to continue to work in a business that you're passionate about, you dreamed as a little kid of doing this, you're doing it, you're doing it at a very high level, you're making an awful lot of money, you're experiencing a great deal of success, but you put a lot of hard work into it. It didn't happen by just luck. But along the way, you get hurt and you're having injuries and you really can't afford to take time off to heal, to rest, to recuperate, to have surgeries. So you start taking medication to help you get through matches and to deal with the pain. And for me, as it has with a lot of other guys in this business, it led to a, a horrible addiction to these pills and this medication. And I go into great, great detail, the very, very low depths that it took me to and everything that it cost me, this addiction, and the stupid things that I did, the stupid decisions that I made because of this addiction, and uh, it ended up costing me an awful lot. Almost killed me. But all that's covered in great detail. I'm very open about it. I'm very transparent about it because I hope that it can help somebody else that may be going through the same thing or dealing with the same problem, that it maybe it could prevent one person from doing what I did or going through what it I'm very fortunate, Pat, very, very fortunate. There are, and I mean dozens and dozens and dozens of guys that I worked with in a wonderful business, and they were wonderful guys, but those same problems cost them their lives. Yes, absolutely. And I'm very fortunate by, by God's amazing grace that it didn't cost me my life, and I was able to come out the other side. And uh, But things have been good for years and years now. Uh, that hasn't been a part of my life for over a decade. But we do, in the, do go into great detail in uh, Del Wilkes, the man behind the mask. Uh, uh, it, it's, um, it's covered extensively, and I'm very open about it. And I made sure that I wanted to be, and, and I, you know, I was very upfront with Michael that, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I want to be very upfront, very open, very honest, and in hopes that it will help someone is the main thing. And maybe prevent someone or help someone that's going through that and struggling with that. that there is hope. And there is an answer, and you can recover. So there's a redemptive part of this story as well. And uh, I just encourage everybody, if they can, to go to kickstarter.com to become a part of this project with us. And uh, I have no doubt they'll be very satisfied and very happy with the finished product. Well, right then and there, like I said, what a great teaser in terms of everyone loves a comeback in life. And everyone loves you guys are our heroes. You know, the generation before us, or at least before my generation, loved, you know, Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and John Wayne. Many guys growing up in the, the era where I was a child of the eighties, young kid in a young adult in the nineties, the wrestling guys were our heroes. We were talking the other night, you know, about Dusty Rhodes and it's just like these guys, you included, were our heroes growing up is so powerful the uh, world of professional wrestling. So anytime one of you guys are down, believe me, we feel bad and sad for you guys. But when you can uh, overcome that, we're just as happy for you as anybody else. So I'm glad to hear that. And that is one of the main reasons people listening to the King Firehawk show here on 1640 PWPR, I say you must. You just must go to Elbow Docs on uh, at Elbow Docs on Twitter. Follow the link to kickstarter.com backslash projects slash 12445 right on to the page where they break down everything that this documentary is going to cover, pretty much everything we talked about tonight and so much more. For the Patriot, Dale Wilkes, the man behind the mask, it's something that 
you guys had to help, I'm telling you, get this funded so we can enjoy this documentary because we know it's going to be good, and I look forward to that. Uh, Dell, I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. I'm going to ask you the standard generic question everybody asks when you're doing any type of interviews, but it's asked because people love the answer. It's almost like they, you know, on the on-deck circle, here comes the big question. So it's hard to pick, but the standard question always is, can you tell us, for you, what was your most memorable match you were in, your favorite match, or maybe a match you saw as a wrestler you were watching in the ring that just sticks with you? Uh, everybody has a favorite match. Everyone loves to ask. And I just wondered, for the Patriot, what is the match that the Patriot says is the one that most is meaningful to you, or is it one that you were actually watching? You know, what, what do you uh, what comes to your mind when I ask you that? Well, for me, I, I have been privileged to watch some of the greatest matches. I, I was there in I think it was 1992, and I forget what city we were at in Japan, but I watched Doug Furness and and Danny Crawford go against Kabashi and Kikuchi, and it was the Wrestling Observer's match of the year. Wow! And, and, and I was I was standing there watching it, and uh, it gives me chill bumps now just talking about it. And I've watched so many great matches in WCW, WWF, but uh, there's so many that stand out that I was able to witness in Japan, um, that being one of them. Uh, and being part of so many great matches with, like I said, Furnace and Crawford and Kabashi and Mazawa and Kawada and Tawei and all those guys. But I guess the one that probably stands out the most for me was the very first night I worked Bret Hart in Pittsburgh for the WWF and, and, and got, a, got a win over Brett. And uh, that was uh, it was a monumental match for me and a, and a monumental win. And I think probably the one that most wrestling fans, when they associate matches with the Patriot, is probably the one that comes to mind first for them. So that, without a doubt, was probably the biggest moment for me. But uh, I had so many, so many great matches with so many great uh, wrestlers and, and competitors and was very, very privileged to w- witness Many, many more. Well, Dell, I can't thank you enough for coming on here to talk a little bit about your life. It's an incredible story. As I said, you were in such high-profile football programs and wrestling. You've been around. Uh, you come through the hard times. It was a joy talking to you. I'd like to thank you very much and wish you good luck with the Kickstarter. Well, I thank you very much for having me on, Pat. It means an awful lot that you would give me this platform to to promote our project and to, to try to send as many people as possible to the kickstarter.com web, website. And uh, also, too, uh, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I appreciate anybody that's ever attended a match, that's ever bought a ticket to go into a venue and watch a match. Because without the folks that buy the tickets, then there's never going to be a Patriot or any other wrestler. Uh, none of us would have ever been able to do what we did and what we've done without all the wrestling fans. And, and I'll tell you, you talk about college football and, and being able to do college football and pro wrestling, but there's no fans on the face of the earth, face of the earth like professional wrestling fans. They're the greatest. They're the most loyal. We appreciate each and every one of you. appreciate those that have contributed to the Kickstarter campaign. And, again, just uh, encourage each and every one of you to go to it and, uh, and to give what you can, and I think you'll be extremely satisfied with what you get in return for it. Kickstarter.com backslash projects backslash 12445 takes you right to the project that we're talking about here tonight on Kickstarter, and that is 
the Patriot Dale Wilkes. We are looking to uh, get this documentary made. It's going to be a very enjoyable one. I will be doing so as well. And uh, we're going to take a break here. I'll be right back here on the King Firehawk Show. And we're going to give out some information on some of the things that you can get by contributing to this documentary and give you more information on the links and how you could do so. We'll be right back. Hey, how you doing? This is King Firehawk from the King Firehawk Show. Just telling you, hey, 1640 PWPR is the home of Pro Wrestling Podcast Radio. If you want to interact with the shows, all you got to do is tweet us at 1640PWPR. Or you can go onto our Facebook page. It's a fan page and we're waiting for you. It's 1640PWPR, the home where Pro Wrestling Podcast Radio lives. What does the Patriot have to do to become the WWF champion in your mind? Well, I've said it before. You know, his, his patented move. Is that Uncle Slam or that Patriot Missile? I think he could beat anybody in the WWF with that. But he's got to be able to wear Brett the Hitman hard down and then hit him just at the right moment with either one of those moves, and he can do it. I just think, don't think the Hitman is going to let him do it. Here we go, Hitman. Here it is again. Uncle Slam. Nobody there to protect him now. presence of mind exactly where he was in the ring as the hitman now crisscrosses from the other side and there go both men what a matchup from ground zero when the patriot took on the hitman Bret Hart one of the biggest matches in his career definitely one of the most memorable ones and uh, it was a lot of fun talking to Dell tonight and I hope you do kick in something to the Kickstarter uh, fundraiser. Now, I know sometimes you don't want to hear people out there trying, like, old King Firehawk to get you to, like, ah, oh, contribute to that. But Dell's got an amazing life, right? He played big-time college football, as you heard us, against some big programs. And he uh, hit the big time in pro wrestling. And as I said, setting up some of the teases that you'll see in the documentary, had some real tough, hard times, and he's going to, share and talk about all that so and to come back to where he is today i think that's a a story that should be told and uh, definitely worth viewing now as i said you go to kickstarter.com backslash behind the mask the dell wilkes the patriot his story kick in whatever you want okay kick in something if uh very rarely king firehawk asks you to do something, but the Patriot, cool dude, man, and I think uh, it'd be cool to see this uh, documentary. Now, just to run down a few things that you can get if you uh, pledge, and I think it's pretty cool. If you give $10 or more, you're going to get your name on the rolling credits, which I'm telling you right now, I will be pledging something, because I think it'll just be funny and cool to see at the end of that documentary. King Firehawk, Pat Crowley, as a contributor, I, I don't care how fast it's rolling, I'm going to freeze that stuff and enjoy looking at that. I'm going to mark out the me, and I'm telling you right now, I hope you join me out there and do the same. A couple other things for, like, you know, for a few bucks. 15 bucks, you get an autograph, name on the credits. 
for 20 You get a copy of, uh, let's see here, can I copy the Rock and Roll Express doc they did, or Ivan Koloff, plus your name in the credits. That's pretty cool. For 25 you get the 8x10 uh, Rock and Roll Express or the Ivan Koloff DVD, and your name on the credits as well. For 30 or more, you get um, the Russian Bear Disc or Rock and Roll Never Dies, your name in the rolling credits, uh, autograph, oh, and both copies of those DVDs, some of the things. And then all increments throughout this, I'll give you a couple just to go blindly here. 70 bucks gets you two DVD, the two DVD set of The Patriot, Behind the Mask, your name in the rolling credits, uh, autographed commercial mask. Ooh, I like that. And an 8x10. I like to have a Patriot mask. I might have to look at that one. And this rolling up a little bit. If you're going to contribute uh, $120, and there every increment you can think of here, folks, I'm just blindly picking a couple that you can help with. For 120 you get the Patriots 2 DVD set. You get um, the entire Raw interview with uh, with Dell, your name in the rolling credits. You get the, his mass autographed. Ooh, United States autogra- uh, flag autographed. 8x10, both DVDs of the Russian Bear, Ivan Koloff, and Rock and Roll Express. Rock and Roll Never Dies. And I've seen both of those, and they're very good. And uh, keep going up and up. The cool one here is if you're going to go for the, the huge package I got for a grand, you get to be one of the executive producers on the film and uh, let's see, and get your name or company on the cover. Oh, I like that. Also, if you're a business, they will put uh, commercial or ad before the start of the documentary. You also receive 20 copies of the documentary, plus everything else listed on uh, above. So for a thousand bucks, you're going to be an executive producer. Uh, you'll have your name plastered all over that. You'll get every uh, thing that they're offering, all the DVDs, the mask, the eight by tens, plenty of copies, and uh, you'll be a, a big contributor. That's pretty cool. Uh, I wish I had an extra thousand dollars. I would love for it to say King Firehawk and all that stuff over on there. Maybe I'll go wake up Mrs. Firehawk right now and ask her if I can take a thousand bucks out. We'll see. But some of you are pretty well off out there, as my stats say and show me that we have some uh, pretty, pretty, pretty well off people listening. So this is your lucky day to become an executive producer, and uh, I think Dell's well worth it. I mean,. Talking to him tonight, I could have talked to him for 10 hours. It's just on the football and then getting to wrestling and getting into all that stuff. And I, I really am honest with you guys out there like I always am. I, I bet Dell would have gone into a lot more things. And I just I in the one, if you're mad out there, if we cut short the story or whatever, because I wanted to tease it because I really am a firm believer in this project and I would like you guys to get behind it and then, you know, when you do, you will get to hear the stories of a uh, little more insider info. Obviously, it's a big sore spot with whoever was portraying themselves as the Patriot after he retired. That's some uh, interesting stuff there. And, of course, the hard times. So you get to hear all that. As well as the good times, his college football career. He had a great four years, as I said, at uh, being one of the Gamecocks. Some legendary players he played against and around and with, as you heard. And uh, what what a career. I mean, come on. He was on television everywhere. And uh, even when the feds weren't doing so well, he was a household name among 
the wrestling fan. So, and that mask kicks ass. I'm looking at a picture of Dell here on the Kickstarter uh, website, and boy, I'd like to have a copy of that mask. So I'm going to have to reread through all this stuff here. But once again, Kickstarter.com. It is the uh, the Patriot, the Dell Week story, the man behind the mask. Michael Elliott's behind this, and he's already produced a lot of really good docs before in the pro wrestling genre. Rock and Roll Express, Ivan Koloff being two of them, which are really good. So, uh, feel good in supporting this, is what I say. All right? What a fun night. What a fun interview. I really enjoyed myself tonight, uh, the King Firehawk show. Coming off, you know, the tributes we did to the American Dream Dusty Rhodes and being pretty bummed out. And the day we recorded this interview, you know, is when they laid to rest Dusty Rhodes. And I actually just read something, uh, the eulogy that uh, Cody Rhodes posted. It was very heartwarming. Uh, you know, amazing. Um, I really needed to get out of the being bummed uh, portion of uh, some of my wrestling heroes. And not that I've forgotten Dusty already, of course not. But talking to Dell really uh, energized me, and I really enjoyed it. So uh, please support him, man. I think uh, you will be uh, better off for it because we got a good project uh, about to... Uh, Come into play here with uh, funding the Kickstarter. Okay? I'm King Firehawk. Thanks for joining us. Let's take it uh, home and uh, see you when I see you. Take care. This is the King Firehawk Show on 1640 PWPR, the home of pro wrestling, podcast radio, and more.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.